Humanizing History is a show about people in history that have had an impact on our world. We will be exploring what made them important, but our main focus will be on who that person was outside of well-known records. We will be diving deep into who these people were, what they hated, who they loved, and other less-known information about their lives. In order to show the world that no one is perfect, we are all human and make mistakes. But that doesn't mean we can't be great and have a profound impact on tomorrow. And welcome to Humanizing History. This is your host, Nick Downey. And this is the other host, Cliff Boone. And welcome to our show today. Now, today's a little bit different because we actually just recorded another episode. So this might be a little bit interesting because we usually ask how we're doing. And we just talked about how we're doing. But Cliff, just to make this somewhat normal, how are things going? Things are going good. I just came back from our break. I got some more water. Okay. And we watched a funny video, and here we are. We How did. was your break? Cliff is blowing up on TikTok. I won't, I won't say why, but he's just blowing up on the tickety talk. <laughs> uh, my break was good. I'm, I, you know, we we talked a little bit about your trip coming up. By the time this airs, you'll have gone on your trip and enjoyed yourself. So, where are you going? We are going to the great state of Montana, Big Sky Country. Big Sky Country. I've actually never been to Montana. I would love to someday. I probably will go to Montana and check it out. You you have to. It's if you like outdoors at all. Yeah. This is absolute God's country. Yeah. It's the closest to heaven I've ever been on earth. It it's beautiful. Yeah. It's a, an outdoorsman's paradise. Now, have you ever been to the panhandle of uh Idaho? Yes. Is it very similar to that? So Western Montana is very, very similar to okay. it. Okay. Where we're going is more eastern Montana. Okay. Uh, central eastern Montana. Um, it's more plainsy, kind of like Wyoming would be. Gotcha. Okay. But it's still, it still has a lot of greenery, a lot of trees. Yeah. It snows. It rains. It's overcast. It's still beautiful. Right. What I consider beautiful. Right. Yeah. Idaho. The reason I ask is I've been to the, the Panhandle of Idaho, and you take the Snake River up, and that mm-hmm. is one of the most beautiful drives, especially since once you get like from the border of Utah to like Boise is the worst drive in the world it's it brown it's dead brown yeah. flat and dead but the moment you get through boise you start going up the river oh it is beautiful so pocatello is really the place that i start to notice it in idaho okay when it starts turning green and a little bit I, I can see that yeah that that to me is the transition from oh where we live going yeah to where it's pretty yeah so that, that's that'll be fun and I hopefully get to see montana someday so. i hope you do man yeah. it's it's beautiful that and whole region though idaho up there and mm-hmm. yellowstone is just amazing yeah. i want to go to yellowstone i want to go to jackson hole only part of wyoming i've ever been to is evanston wyoming okay i don't know if you've ever been there it is like the butthole of the world i'm sorry <laughs> if any of you live in evanston wyoming we used to just go there to get fireworks before they were legal when i was living in utah gotcha yeah that's that's my only experience with wyoming and never montana yeah we've We've been through, so years ago, back in 2009, uh, my wife's uncle and I drove a quad that he owned to sell in Montana. So we drove up through Vegas, Utah, and Idaho into Montana, stayed there for a day and a half, two days, and then we drove back through Wyoming, Colorado, New Mexico. Oh, yeah. And did a brewery tour. So nice. we hit breweries in every nice. state. Nice. 
So that's where I fell in love with Denver Brewing because Dude. my gosh, they had this beer that was black as night, thick as syrup, and just delicious. So Denver, okay, it's interesting because Denver's brewing scene is awesome because there are so many breweries. But I, so I lived in Denver from 2018 to 2019, so not too long ago, and you get really good breweries. But I get. I feel like it's getting to the point where everybody has a brewery. So you'd go to some breweries and you'd be like, why in the world are you even trying? There's so much better stuff out here. But I still believe that the best place to get craft beer, and you're going to think I'm nuts, Salt Lake City, Utah. They have some of the best breweries, and I feel like it's because they have to try harder. I'm going to disagree with you. Okay. Because I've had breweries in in Utah before, Mm -hmm. but... I think the best breweries are in Massachusetts. Okay. I've never been to Massachusetts, so So I don't know. Massachusetts is amazing. I loved it there. Mm -hmm. I could never live there because of the political climate. Yeah. But I loved the city and the history. And we walked around and saw Ben Franklin's workshop. Mm -hmm. And we walked the Freedom Trail. And then we went to John Harvard's, which is a brewery, a pub. Okay. And it, I had... Massachusetts mild cask ale there. Okay. That was just about the most delicious thing I've ever drank. Okay. It was amazing. That sounds really good. But what's cool about it is there's a brewery here on this street and you turn the corner and go over here. Oh, there's another brewery. Oh, yeah. and across the street there's a brewery. Oh, and oh, down here a, they're they're everywhere. Right. And such a it's such a small jam-packed city that they're yeah. Yeah, and so we just walked from here from this pub to that pub to this brewery to that place to here to there and then back you know, stumbled so it back. So started off hotel. as walking and then ended as stumbling. Oh, oh 100%, <laughs> yeah. Cool, cool. Well, in a weird transition, we're going to talk about somebody who had a uh, stumbling problem when it came to uh, his uh, use of the old alcohol. Ooh, that could be just about anybody. That really could. You know, it's interesting. I feel like addiction and alcohol alcohol drugs we see that a lot in famous people we talked in our last episode about how a lot of famous historical figures are educated but i also feel like a lot of the historical figures that we talked about kind of the nature of this show uh have a lot of problems and we're going to talk about in my opinion one of the greatest musical artists of all time okay and he did some amazing things but he was also a horrible person at, at times in his life that doesn't narrow the list down at all. Okay. That could be George Jones. That okay. That could be Merle Haggard. That could, could be, be Waylon Jennings. Could be. So it's a male, so I know, know it's not like Tammy Wynette or... No. It could be Johnny Cash. It, that it, could, be oh, it could be Hank Johnny Williams. Cash. That could be Hank Jr. You know, it's interesting. You're naming all country people. Well, yeah. Well, and this is a country artist that we're talking about. Didn't you mention country? I didn't mention country. I just said one of the greatest musicians of all time. You just assume I said country. I think you said country, uh, male country singer. I did I d- did not say anything like My that. My mistake. But I think what we just realized, or what we just country. learned, was Cliff very much likes country, and most of his favorite artists are country. I run the gamut, though. I, I know you do. But yeah, I, I, d- I have a deep love for old country. Yeah. And so today we are talking about Johnny Cash. Okay. Who, in my opinion, he's a great songwriter, great vocalist. One of the greatest musicians of all time. And I personally am not the hugest country fan, but his country hits different. I felt like he was a perfect blend of country and rock and roll. So I love his attitude. Yeah. I, I love how he's got that, you know, F authority kind of vibe going with it. Mm-hmm. And let your freak flag fly. I enjoy that. He's not one of my favorite singers. Like, I, 
there's songs that he did that's great. Yeah. I, I absolutely love some of his music. But I'm not a, a Johnny Cash fanboy. I think he was a little overrated for his music. Really? He couldn't sing. He wasn't a good singer. He spoke most of his songs. But the songs that he did, I really enjoy. And I got a lot of Johnny Cash yeah. to listen to. I just think that, much like Led Zeppelin and the Beatles, he was overplayed. First of all, the one thing you said that was correct in all that is the Beatles are overplayed. Oh, the I Beatles are garbage. do not like the Beatles. Thank you. However, I love Led Zeppelin. Zeppelin's great. They're a good band. Yeah. I love Zeppelin. But they're they're not that great. Without Stairway, nobody would know who they were. True. Cashmere was good. You know, what was the... Uh, all of My Love was good. Black Dog. But um, it's just... It's a lot of the same. I would beg to differ, but... No, I wouldn't beg to differ. I do understand where you're coming from. But I I think I love Led Zeppelin a little bit because my dad loves Led Zeppelin. So it's kind of a connection that I have. Like when I think of Led Zeppelin, I think of my dad. So, And I'm not knocking them. Great band. Yeah. And my gosh, I love Stairway. That's a great yeah. song. The greatest guitar riff of all time, as voted. In mm-hmm. um, oh, Rolling Stone, I think. But I, I just think there were bands that were way better than them. But they're still a great band. Yeah. So yeah. I'm not saying they're garbage. The Beatles, I think, are absolute trash. Fight me. I, I I agree. There are very few Beatles songs that I enjoy. But there was a, there's a lot of people that like them. So. Oh, yeah. Well, obviously, we're in the minority here because right. the Beatles is still a huge oh, thing. Some people view them as the greatest band of all time. Sure. But I have view that... Lincoln Park is one of the greatest bands of all time, and a lot of people disagree with me. You know, it's it's all about personal. You know, it's all about personal taste. Exactly. If you enjoy music, kind of okay. I, I have a few things where I'm like, if you enjoy it, I you can do whatever the heck you want. So, music, I don't care what you listen to. If you enjoy it and that's what makes you happy, listen to it. Same with like drinking. Like people are like, oh, you drink da da da. Well, do you like it? Who gives a rip if you drink that? So I agree. Let people enjoy things. Exactly. Don't be a gatekeeper. Yeah. Anyway, so Johnny Cash, yeah. So yeah, let's go into Johnny Cash. So before we get started, I, I know we've just kind of been going back and forth. Any favorite Johnny Cash songs? God's gonna cut you down is a good one. Oh my God, I am so glad you said that. That is one of my that that's in my list. So okay, so yeah. that hurt, of course. Yep. Even though a lot of people don't know, that's a cover. Yep. Johnny Cash covered that song. He wasn't the original singer, but I think he sang it better. There's another song. Which I'm not gonna release it right now, but there's another song. His most popular song that was actually a cover, but okay, keep going. So I love all of Outlaw Country, and I really like when Johnny Cash was in The Highwaymen. Yep. So a lot of the yep. stuff that he sang that I like, he sang with three other dudes. Right. It was what Willie Nelson, Chris Christopherson, Chris Christopherson, Johnny Cash. Yep. And we'll talk about them very briefly, but we yeah. do great stuff. Yeah. So what your favorite song? You so said God's it's interesting. Cut you down? So. My two favorite songs are one of his very his actual very first hit and one of his later in life ones. So I love the song "Hey Porter." I don't know why. Okay, it's it's kind of hokey, but it's upbeat and got a good sound to it. And then God's gonna cut you down. God's gonna cut you down. I think describes his life almost to a T. Like we'll talk, and you'll kind of get the idea. And if you haven't heard "God's Gonna Cut You Down," go listen to it especially after this episode and you'll kind of you I not you won't kind of you will definitely understand where he got the inspiration from. So. Okay. But there's a lot of other songs that are really good. Mandy, my wife, really she loves Johnny Cash. Mm-hmm. She had the box set, she the whole thing. Yeah. She's really likes the song 
it's like Wayfair Child or Wayfair okay. Wanderer or something. Yeah, she yeah. loves that mm-hmm. song. So it's interesting. So there was a period in my life where I would love going to the record store. I wouldn't buy records. I'd buy CDs. But I would go and just find a CD that I would like. And so I had a big old stack of CDs. And I used to drive all the time from, from Utah to Arizona, which is a good 11-hour trip. Sure. And so I would I had had a kind of a, not a regiment, but I had a, a pretty solid like list I would go through. And Johnny Cash was one in, in that list. And I remember one time I was coming home, and I had, you know, this sporty little Celica. You know, most people driving it are probably listening to hip-hop, rap, whatever. And I had to take it in for, I think it was an oil change or something. No, some some belt was making a weird sound. So I took it in. And it was a guy, and he's like, he comes back after bringing my car, and he goes, dude, you had Johnny Cash in your CD player. You are awesome because every little kid that is your age, I was like 19 or 20 at the time, is playing some crap and you're listening to great music. And I like, <laughs> from that moment, I'm like, yeah, I'm a Johnny Cash fan, you know. Because he I'm, give you a discount? Uh, well, funny. My dad used to bring that mechanic beers all the time. So okay. my dad got discounts on like everything because he would always bring like a six pack of beer and they loved him for it. So Way to go. Yeah, I, I got discounts. Anyway, we've kind of gone on a lot of tangents, so let's dive into the life of Johnny Cash. Johnny Cash came from very humble beginnings. Cash was born on February 26th, 1932. For some reason, I felt like that was a long time ago. Like, I felt like he was more recent, but probably because I discovered him, you know, in the 2000s. Yeah. uh, Yeah, so 1932. He was born to Ray and Carrie Cash in Kingsland, Arkansas. Uh, he was the fourth of seven children. And interesting fact, Johnny is actually not his birth name. So Johnny's birth name was actually just J.R. So during this time, during the Great Depression, it was common for children in the South to have initials rather than full names. Okay. Uh, I actually have a cousin uh, who his name is two letters. I won't say it because I don't know if he wants me to. The letters do stand for something, but not legally. Amanda's sister her boyfriend, the exact same situation. Yeah. His birth certificate is two letters. Mm-hmm. That's it. Yeah. But I don't know if it stands for anything or not. I don't know him that well. Yeah. But uh, I think she told me that it does. But yeah, I, I was so flabbergasted mm-hmm. by that. I'm like, how do you not have a name? Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, my cousin, that's just what he goes by. But we all know as a family what the letters stand for. But legally, it's just two letters. <laughs> anyway, but for Johnny, uh, he was called JR throughout his childhood. Except by his father, who gave him the nickname Shudu. Shudu? Shudu. S-H-O-O-D-O-O. I don't know. I just saw that his dad called him Shudu. Okay. All right. Cash kept the name all through high school, and his diploma even shows J.R. Cash. Cash did not change his name until 1950 when he decided to join the Air Force. Cash's recruiter would not accept soldiers with initials for their name. (laughs) So the only reason he changed his name, because he had to. So JR changed his name to John R. Cash. Okay. Okay. Legally? Legally. Okay. Yeah. Because he had to, because he wanted to go into the military and they wouldn't accept him. Gotcha. Anyway, let's go back. Cash's family was impacted greatly by the Great Depression. So he came from very humble origins. His family was extremely poor. The first house that Cash lived in did not even have glass windows. So it pretty much was just a hole cut out. To try and keep the family warm during the winter months, Carrie, his mom, would drape blankets or whatever she could find to keep out the cold. Luckily, at the age of three, 
the family took advantage of FDR's New Deal farming program. So what this was is Franklin D. Roosevelt worked with Congress to basically provide land to those that were willing to work it. And so the Cash family was given a 20-acre cotton farm and lived in a five-bedroom house. So it was a tough, I don't want to say tough life, but cotton isn't the most glorious thing to work on. As we know, you know, even before this, we had slaves working on the cotton fields in the U.S. because it was such a demanding job. Johnny began working on the farm with his family as soon as the age of five. He started by being the water boy for the family. So, yeah, I mean, it, literally, he would just go and give them water. <laughs> All I think of is, is Adam Sandler. <laughs> I'm sorry. I just pictured Johnny Cash as Adam Sandler. <laughs> you can do it. <laughs> Total tangent. So that movie came out when I was probably, I'm trying to think, probably about eight or nine years old, right? So that was not really a kid-friendly movie. No. <laughs> so my grandfather, who was probably late 60s, early 70s at the time, was watching me and my brother, who was four. <laughs> and he took us to the movies. I remember we went to Edwards Theater in Brea, California. And we went in, and Grandpa was like, yeah, there's this football movie, this Waterboy oh, no. movie. And I'm like, Grandpa, it's PG-13. We can't watch it. Oh, it's it'll be fine. It'll be fine. Dude, I remember coming out of that movie and I'm a I was a probably second or third grader that went to a Christian school. I was traumatized after that movie. <laughs> and I don't think my grandpa even thought twice about it. Or maybe he did, but I I've only ever watched that movie once. It was with my grandfather and I was I'm traumatized by it. And the part that traumatized me the most as a kid, nothing's even shown, but do you remember when his girlfriend flashes Vicky him? Valancourt. Yes. yes. I was like Oh my God, I'm going to get in trouble by my mom. <laughs> like, I vividly remember thinking that. So, Mandy and I love this movie. And there are times that I will quote it and I'll be like, and she showed me her boobies and I liked him too. And I'll run out of the room <laughs> and she'll just laugh. <laughs> so yes, Johnny Cash was a water boy. He was not this water boy though that we are referring to. Anyway, at the age of eight, he began working as a cotton picker for his family. This was extremely hard work. A typical day would consist of him being out in the field for hours on end, so well over eight hours, and it was not uncommon for him to end the day with a canvas sack filled with 200 pounds or more of cotton. Oh my gosh. At age eight. Like, have you ever, that's a dumb question, you've felt cotton? Well, I'm wearing cotton. Right. <laughs> That stuff is so light. Can you yeah, imagine how much that would... a lot. Yeah. Not only that, but 200 pounds wasn't that much, to be right, honest. Right. So it feels like a lot, but it's not worth a lot of money. Right. But it still gave them a better life than what they had. Absolutely. Yeah. Cash would spend 15 years working on his family farm. Cash did have a knack for music from a very early age. He actually showed a love for music starting around the age of about 12, maybe a little bit sooner, but we see this really start popping up when he was 12. He even started writing his own songs as early as 12 years old. Really? Yeah. Did he sing any of those songs later on? Did he even become it famous? It didn't say, I didn't see that. Okay. But he, he could have. I, okay. I don't want to say he didn't. But his mother saw his passion for music 
and was able to save up enough money for him to take singing lessons. So she worked extra so that he could take singing lessons. Right away, his singing teacher saw that Cash had such a unique talent that even after three lessons, his teacher told Cash and his mother that JR should just stick with his unique singing style, not to deviate from his natural singing voice. Because if you think of Johnny Cash, it is a very raspy, rocky voice. And I think that's what makes him so great. It is different. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's not the greatest. Well, but but it's not about that. Right. It's about what's behind that voice exactly. that you feel. Mm-hmm. He's singing his songs because he's lived them. Yeah. And that rough voice goes with it. Right. You got to think. Country, that's the type of person you're going to attract. Oh, yeah. It, he sang to the to the everyday blue-collared worker, and his voice was so integral in that, so the teacher saw that at a very young age. Johnny also grew up in a religious environment, which is kind of surprising with some of the stuff that we'll talk about in a little bit. (laughs) Uh, His mother was an active member in the local Pentecostal church, and his brother Jack was committed to becoming a priest. Oh, wow, okay. Yeah, Religion was a major influence in Cash's career, as many of his songs focused on experiences that he had as a young boy in religion, as well as his farming experience that he had as a young boy. Okay, that makes sense. A lot yeah. of country singers usually, well, at least older country singers, sing about their lives. Right. They didn't know anything else. Right, exactly. You want your mom back, your car back, your dog back. Well, that's the joke. Yeah, exactly. When you play a country song backwards, backwards. You get your wife back, your dog back, your <laughs> truck back, your... Exactly. It really is. But sometimes it is true. (laughs) Let's go back to to his back to his childhood. Tragedy came into Cash's life at a very young age. So I just talked about Jack, and Jack was Johnny's best friend. Okay. Brother, older brother, best friend. During one morning when Johnny was only twelve years old, he really wanted to go fishing with his older brother Jack, who was fourteen at the time. Jack unfortunately declined to go as he had to go to work so the family's poor family needed money jack had to go to work sure cash's brother worked a table saw for a company that cut oak trees into posts this job was not lucrative at all he made three dollars a day baller right (laughs) (laughs) oh that can you imagine that like even though that was let's say 70 years ago and that them just spitballing there. That's still not a lot of money, it doesn't feel like. But either way, even though Jack rejected JR's offer, JR still went to the fishing hole and had a very unsuccessful day. So he just went, tried to catch some fish, nothing was nothing was biting. On his way home, however, Ray, Cash's father, met him on the road in a panic. Oh, no. So Jack had been in an accident and was severely injured. Cash's brother had been struck by the saw. Oh, and this is this I cringe when I heard this. And was cut through his ribs and stomach all the way down to his groin. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Can you imagine that? Like you kind of see that in like horror movies where you get stuck on the saw and blood everywhere. But can you imagine happening that happening in real life? Well, so it 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 does happen. It does. Anybody who's worked in a a dangerous profession has mm-hmm. seen the movies. Yeah. Cuz you got to sit down and watch them. Or else OSHA gets on your company's butt about it. And a lot of them are stupid, campy, and made up. Yeah. I've seen a few that stuck with me. Yeah. Because they were realistic scenes that actually happened with real photos. Yeah. From the aftermath. It's grisly. Yeah. And when you see that, it does make you think, you know what? I 
think I'll put my hard hat on yep. just in case. Yep. So my dad, if you actually look at his hand, his middle finger, he's got a scar that goes right right across mm-hmm. it. He doesn't have feeling in his in his middle finger. I think it's on it's on his left hand. The only reason I know that is because I tried to teach him how to play World of Warcraft once, and he he couldn't really feel the W key and move forward, and so it it jacked him up when he tried to play. But anyway, what happened was he was being not the safest obviously like osha but he was holding like a piece of wood and was using a saw he literally cut his finger oh off and they had to go and sew it back oh, on it off. yeah like it was like hanging off oh and luckily they got to the hospital quick enough and we were able to sew it back on oh my god so he has some feeling in it but a lot of it is gone in it's his a, oh my gosh that's a perfect time for a dad joke though <laughs> i hope he uses it now i can't feel this can you? <laughs> it's totally uh, Unfortunately, my dad isn't a vulgar person, so he wouldn't flip anybody <laughs> off. My dad I'm not is, saying because oh, I'm saying oh. I can't feel it. Can you feel it physically? Feel. I don't know what you mean. Oh. If I said, hey, Nick, I can't feel my finger, and you reached over and touched it, and you oh. said, I can feel I it. I can feel it. I get it. I get it. I thought you were flipping me off. No. Because you, you do that on a regular basis. I do not. <laughs> so I did look it up real quick here. In 1942... $3 a day was equivalent to about $48 today. Okay. And what's the minimum wage right now? 7 bucks. 7.25. Yeah. Oh no, no. Here in Arizona, I think it's $10 now. Okay. So you're still only where it's it's still not that great. Oh no. It's not great at all. Let's go back. Cash's brother, like I said, got stuck in the saw, cut all the way down to his groin from his ribs. Jack would actually hold on for about a week. But oh my gosh! Unfortunately, succumbed to his injuries. Jeez, I'm blown away. He lived that long, to be completely honest. I, when I saw that it was a week, I was kind of flabbergasted. Well, that that's that's a long time. Yeah. The death of his brother affected John greatly, not only as a boy but throughout his entire life. Cash is even quoted as saying, "After Jack's death, I felt like I died too. I had no other friends." Jack, though, never left Johnny. Jack essentially played a guardian angel or like a conscious role in Cash's life. Mm-hmm. Whenever Johnny was at a crossroads in life, he would often think of Jack. Cash wrote, the most important question in my life has been, which is Jack's way? Which direction would he have taken? This makes sense because Jack was the one that wanted to be a priest. So to Johnny, Jack was like this I don't want to say idol, but role model. Sure. So we'll talk about how messed up Johnny's life is coming up soon. So I can definitely see why he would think that. Like going into a situation, okay, I'm being an idiot right now. What would Jack do? But what were you going to say? Nothing. I'll, I'll save it till the end of the podcast. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. Johnny explained that Jack would even show up in his dreams occasionally. This usually happened when Cash was either doing something he knew was wrong, usually getting drunk or hammered or whatever it may be, or about to commit an act that was wrong. Oh, jeez. It's his conscience. Yeah, exactly. His conscience. Jack was his conscience. Uh, except uh, not as cute as Jiminy Cricket. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> in these reoccurring dreams, Jack would confront Johnny and typically give him this like admonishing grin like, you know what you're doing is wrong. Johnny wrote, there's no fooling Jack. Personally, like I kind of said, I think this came up because he viewed him as a role model and the idea that he was going to be a priest. So he saw him as 
this person that he should model his life at. Of course. Yeah, that makes sense. Which is nuts. I, I could not imagine losing a brother. Now, I'm the oldest brother, so I look up to my brothers in different areas, but it's not like I look up to... I didn't grow up looking up to my brothers. I was the caregiver. I was the one that took care of my brothers. Sure. But losing any of my brothers, I could definitely see that weighing heavy on my life. But this is like a whole nother level. Yeah, that was his role model, like you were saying. That's who he looked up to physically and emotionally. Right. And then with such religious upbringing, Mm -hmm. seeing that his brother was going to be that and cut down, you know it affected him. Obviously, it affected him. But it's at a deeper level than it would affect someone just losing a brother that was just not nearly as close or didn't have that religious background. Yeah. Yeah. It it affected him on a spiritual level. That's what I'm looking for. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Life goes on, though. So... Obviously, Johnny Cash had had to live his life, even though he felt like he died on that day. After Cash graduated in 1950, he moved to Pontiac, Michigan, and briefly worked in an auto body plant. Later that summer, he enlisted into the Air Force, like we talked about a little bit ago. For basic training, Johnny was sent to good old San Antonio, Texas, and trained at Lackland Air Force Base. During his time in Texas, he met his first wife, Vivian Liberto, and obviously this was his first wife, so we'll talk about other wives. (laughs) Not other wives, one other wife later on. During his four years in the military, he spent a majority of that time in Landsberg, West Germany. Cash was a radio intercept officer. His main job, and this was really cool, I thought, his main job was to listen and spy in on Soviet radio traffic. Soviet radio traffic. Mm-hmm. Okay. While in Germany, Cash still began to focus on music in his free time. He and a few of his Air Force friends created a musical group named the Landsberg Barbarians. <laughs> okay. And this group gave him the opportunity to begin playing live shows. It also allowed him to educate himself on how to play the guitar and also get back into the whole songwriting thing. So he had taken kind of a hiatus. A little bit. He hadn't really, after the death of Jack, he didn't really... Kind of lost that spark. Yeah, he kind of lost that spark for a while. Johnny was discharged from the military after serving four years and was discharged in July of 1954. Cash would finally get to marry Vivian, and then they settled in Memphis, Tennessee. During his time in Memphis, he took a job as an appliance salesman. Could you ever see this guy as an salesman? So I'm, to be honest, I'm shocked about every job he's had so far other than working on the farm. Really? Yeah. I, he doesn't seem the type to be a salesman. Mm-hmm. He doesn't seem the type to me to be working on Pontiacs. True. Which I assume is... Well, he, he was Pontiac, Pontiac, Michigan. It was more than likely. Pontiacs. Yeah. But yeah, he doesn't seem like a mechanic. He doesn't seem like he'd be a salesman. He seems like he'd be fired from every job he owned <laughs> or he had. Right, right. He doesn't seem like somebody smart enough, I think mean, this is going to sound bad, but like intelligent enough to like intercept radio traffic from the Soviets. So I don't know. So I can totally see that. You though. could? I, I just can't see him. That was the one that threw me off. And the salesman me, I, one. I can see him listening because it's almost like he's got something to prove. He's going to catch them in the act. Okay. Where okay. selling is more like he's just trying to be these greasy middleman that's trying to make a buck. Right. To me, right. that doesn't seem like outlaw country. To right. me, that seems like. Just a greasy slime ball trying to make a buck. <laughs> a white, a white collar worker. Just yeah. yeah. And nothing against people in the sales. 
you know, you are guys, you guys do what you do, and mm-hmm. I buy from salesmen all the time. You buy from good salesmen. You don't buy from sleazy salesmen. Oh my gosh, I'm sure that my wife could tell you about all the times I've embarrassed her because we have a deal, and the sales guy says something I don't like, and I question him on it, and he gets snippy, and I go, okay, bye. Yeah. <laughs> you think you're the only one that sells? Sells X. Right. I will literally drive five hours out of my way simply to not buy from you. Yeah. But then that's that's me. <laughs> there are good salesmen in the world, and then there are some really, really bad ones. Yeah. And I have worked with both. So was Cash a good salesman? No, he did not, he did not stick in that job okay. for very long. I'm not surprised. So even while he was a salesman, uh, he never lost his love for music. He would team up with a couple of local mechanics. This makes sense. So just kind of the image that Johnny Cash had. Of course, he made music with mechanics. I can see that. Yeah. And those mechanics were Marshall Grant and Luther Perkins. The three of them and their families became extremely close and would often be over at each other's houses singing gospel-style music. Potlucks, having a good time. They just spent time with each other. Sure. Cash would eventually become the group's lead man. Oh, he's the voice. Of course. The voice is always the person that everybody recognizes. Oh, yeah. The group played a unique style of music that fused blues and country western with a little bit of, you know, that gospel inspiration. The three would perform live often, usually in the surrounding Memphis area. And his fellow bandmate, Marshall Grant, would write in his 2006 autobiography, Cash was a decent singer, not a great one. But there was power and presence in his voice, which you have mentioned multiple times. Yeah. And that attitude behind all of it. Yeah. Yeah. There was, like you said, the voice matched the personality. Exactly. And if he would have sang those same songs with a different voice, I don't even know if they would have been that successful. Well, look at the songs he's covered and look at the success of both of them. Yeah. I, I like the I like the original, too, mm-hmm. of uh, Hurt. Hurt. I, I do. I like the original by Nine Inch Nails. Yes. But man, Cash, Cash just does something different. Brought it a different direction, and it just sounds so good. Yeah. And he got in at the that. perfect time because this is, not to go off on a huge tangent, but mm-hmm. country music was changing. Country music was gospel music. Yes, it really That's was. That's what it was. That's what it started as was country, was, was gospel music. It was, yeah, it was an offshoot of, you know, what they learned at church and the songs that they sung at church and exactly. just kind of taking it in a different direction. Yeah. So that's what it was. But then Cash comes in, and a lot of the guys came in around the same time. That was the outlaw country, because they yeah. still had songs about God. They still had that right. gospel. But then they also had songs about whoring, and mm-hmm. they had songs about drinking, and they yep. had songs about cheating, and they had songs about all the other and stuff. prison and all that stuff. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mamas, trains, trucks, you know. And talking about real-life stuff. Exactly. I think that's why he was so popular. But let's kind of start getting into the rise of Johnny Cash. To get started in the rise of Johnny Cash, we're actually going to talk about another extremely famous musician. In July 1954, Elvis Mania hit America when another Memphis musician, Elvis Presley, released his first record. Elvis's success in return skyrocketed the success of a local producer named Sam Phillips and his label, Sun Records. The success that both the record label and Phillips had drew the attention of Cash, Grant, and Perkins. Later that year, the three of them would make a surprise visit to Sun and beg Phillips for an audition. Oh, wow. Okay. They're going after it. No, they're going after it. And have you seen Walk the Line? 
No. The movie? I have not. It's a great, great movie. You have a smirk on your face. Is there a reason why you won't watch it? I was going to wait till the end. Okay. But have you seen Walk Hard? No, I have not. Oh, okay. I, I have not seen it, but I know what you're talking about. And I can't think of the guy's name, the comedian with the frizzy hair. Riley. Riley. Yeah. John David. John Riley. Or no, John Cecil? Crap, what's his name? John C. Riley. Yeah. yeah, John Riley. Yeah. He Walk the Line is I didn't I know it's making fun of Johnny Cash's life and then changing into like making fun of uh Bob Dylan's life. Yeah. And the Beatles' life and all that. But it starts out with his brother getting cut in half, him singing the blues, him growing you know, growing up poor. All this I'm listening to you talk about Johnny Cash, and all I can think about is walk the line or walk hard. <laughs> walk hard. And it, it is about Johnny Cash, and they make fun of, like I said, his brother getting cut in half That's when he's a kid. Horrible. And then his brother being his conscience. Really? So throughout the movie, his brother's there, and his brother ends up being Jonah Hill at the end of it. <laughs> but Jeez. dude, it's so funny. And then later on, I was going to wait till the end because later on in his life, they talk about him getting with this woman that he's singing with, and. Mm-hmm. It's his life. So it's a parody of Walk the Line. Yes. Okay. But I've never seen Walk the Line. Great movie. If you haven't seen it, very, very good movie. But a lot of the things that we're going to cover, they did a great job at addressing in the movie. And one of them was this whole trying to get the attention of Phillips and Sun Records. Yeah. So they make fun of that in the movie, too. (laughs) They also make fun of him meeting Elvis. Really? It's so good. Anyway, so eventually Sun Records and Phillips gave in and allowed the three to show off their talents. Phillips enjoyed their sound, but really wasn't excited about their gospel-driven songs. Mm -hmm. And that they were all about gospel at this point, as he felt it would limit their market. So he tasked the three with creating an original song. So, and I get that. You know, I love gospel music. I love Christian music. But I can see how Phillips, as a businessman, is going to want to bring somebody in that's going to make him money. You're limiting your audience. Yeah. Yeah. The three men, in response, began to work on a song written by Cash called Hey Porter, which is, like I said, one of my favorite songs. And they performed it in a session to Sun Records. Phillips liked the song as well as their second song, another very popular one, Cry, Cry, Cry. Sun would sign the three and rename them to Johnny Cash and the Tennessee Two. Hey Porter was released in May of 1955, and Cry 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 was released later that year, eventually reaching number 14 on the Billboard charts. Wow. So they got big quick. Yeah. The funny thing, I don't want to say the funny thing, but the interesting thing to me is we hear about Johnny Cash all the time. And when we think of Cry, 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 we think of Johnny Cash. I, I never even heard of the Tennessee Two. You know, did, did you know that? No, there was I didn't know that it was anything other than Johnny Cash. Johnny Cash. I feel bad for these guys. Like you said, it's always the lead man. It's always the singer that gets oh, yeah. the, it's, that gets the recognition, and we see it here. There's a few that get recognition, like right. Jimmy Page. Yeah, but for the most part, it's the lead. It's man. the singer. It's the singer. Totally. Success would continue for Cash. He released two Billboard Top 10 tracks, which are So Dong On Lonesome and Folsom Prison Blues, which which we'll talk about much later in the podcast. But the Folsom Prison Blues, man, that that was... 
in today's language, a banger. Like, that was <laughs> such a good song. Bet. <laughs> and just that whole that whole Folsom Prison album is so good. Yeah. That is a, that's one of the songs I definitely like from him. Yeah. Yeah. His career hit its peak in 1956 when he wrote and released I Walk the Line. I Walk the Line sold 2 million copies and hit number one on the country music charts. His debut album would release Foley in 1957, and it was called Johnny Cash with his hit in blue guitar. So that was kind of the, the rise of Johnny Cash. It was a very quick rise. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, and he was you know, extremely good at what he did. And with a lot of money comes a lot of opportunities. Yes, and that's what we're going to talk about. Before we go into this, we'll take a quick break. It's a good idea. We'll be right back, folks. And we are back. Yes, we are. So before the break, we started to learn and talk about the rise of Johnny Cash and his quick rise to success. And we are now going to unfortunately talk about his quick fall. The higher they, what is it? The higher they climb. The bigger they are, the harder they fall. Something like that. Yeah. So the bigger they are, the harder they fall. And this was very much true for for Johnny Cash. So all right, let's lay into it. Yeah. So Johnny Cash was a drug addict and a deadbeat dad. What? We are just going to come out with it right away. So you don't sound surprised at all. No, no. (laughs) Because as we were taking our break, I remembered I have seen Walk the Line. So I do know. (laughs) So yeah, no, not surprised. Yeah, unfortunately, he was not a very good dad. With all of Cash's career success, his personal life was an absolute mess. Johnny Cash was both a drug addict and a really horrible husband and father. In 1961, Cash moved his wife and his four daughters to Casitas Springs, California. The move was suggested by his then-wife, Vivian, as a hope to try and convince him to get off the pills and alcohol. Unfortunately, things just got worse. You don't go to California to get clean. Exactly. (laughs) You you don't. You just got to imagine. Hollywood. All the temptations. You're just going to the hub of it. Absolutely. But she, for some reason, thought that moving there would help him get off of the the drugs. Unfortunately, like I said, things did get worse after moving to California. First off, Johnny was never home to support his wife and kids. So he just became even worse of a father and a husband. Cash was typically on the road 300 plus days a year. Oh my gosh. Can you imagine that? Only being home out of the 12 months in the year, maybe two months. That'd be nuts. Would you feel like you were married or had a kid at that point? Not at all. No. Especially knowing the life he had. Mm -hmm. You know his wife knew what he's getting up to when he's on the road 300 days a year and not excusing what he did but it would be so hard to know that there's somebody that you love at home and not being with them i can see how that loneliness could creep in and make you do things that 
I, I, I can understand how it can happen for a lot of people. Yeah. But in no way am I justifying this. Okay. What I'm saying is I can understand. I can see how you can fall into that temptation. I got you. Yeah. But it's not good, obviously. Now, your wife would probably kill you. My wife would probably kill me. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Luckily, he didn't have a wife that would pull up a shotgun and you know <laughs> shoot him. Anyway, so like I said, he was on the road usually about 300 days a year. It is estimated that he would travel an average of 300,000 miles per year. Wow. That is nuts. I hope he was driving a Ford. <laughs> Let's hope. <laughs> His travels would not only include mass amounts of drugs and alcohol, but also he'd be parading around with women a lot of times. Actually, most of the time, not his wife, obviously. Mm -hmm. He even began to be quite flirtatious with his tour mate, June Carter. And we'll talk about June a little bit later. She ends up playing a major role in his life. Anyways, had this flirtatious relationship with June Carter and was often seen out with her. Cash's daughter, Roseanne, explained her father and her mother's relationship as such. In my preteen years, my father's drug addiction was really consuming him and my parents' marriage. There was just this background tension and anxiety to all of those years. I don't think we fully understand as parents, like we do understand, but I don't think we fully understand how our actions in our marriage affect our kids. And I think this is a direct correlation of that. So you're right. Yeah. But not only in your marriage, it's in how you act all day mm -hmm. long because your kid has eyes on you mm -hmm. watching everything you do. Yep. And from the time they can see, yep. they're watching you. And you are molding them as a person by your actions. Exactly. exactly. A lot of people don't realize that. There's times that I don't realize it. And I say something stupid or do something stupid and realize it. And I look at my kid and grab him by the shoulders and go, look, dad's human. Dad shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have reacted that way. Please be better than me. Right. Well, and it's funny because so many parents are like... Why does my kid know the F word and the S word and all that? Well, because you say it. Yeah. And you say it in your most emotional states typically. And that is when your kid is most honed in on you. Mm -hmm. And that's why they pick it up so quickly. We're all guilty of it. Mm -hmm. We've all done it. Yep. Yeah. And this is just, this proves my point specifically. You know, we're looking at how even though the fights were between his wife and him, it had a huge toll on his four daughters. Which it always does. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Clearly, his lifestyle had a negative impact, not only on his wife, but his kids. The toll of his absence and addiction took its course on the family. Roseanne once again provides insight on this. It got to where it was like somebody else was coming home, not my daddy. The drugs were at work. He'd stay up all night. He and my mom would fight. It was so sad. There were also many occasions in which Vivian would pack up the girls and search for a drunken cash throughout oh, no. throughout the city. Just driving around looking for drunk dad. Yep. Oh, jeez. How, how humiliating as a wife that would be. How humiliating as a daughter that would be knowing that we have to go and search for dad who's stumbling around. Yeah. yeah I'm getting Frank Sinatra vibes from this. Yeah, it's pretty bad. It gets worse. It's bad. Vivian finally had enough of the situation and filed for divorce in 1966, as she should. Oh, yeah. 
No one's blaming her. I'm not an advocate for divorce. I think too many people get divorced without working through things. But when you're in a situation like this, I get it. Well, she had already tried to work with him. She thought moving would help. She moved him. She stayed with him through all this. It gets to a point where you're done. Right. Yeah, I get it. During this time, Cash's vices of choice were amphetamines and booze. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. I thought he was a cokehead. From what I read, yeah, it was pills. Okay, yeah. already. Other than his family troubles, his addiction was also taking a toll on his career. The amphetamines would often destroy his voice and leave him barely making a croak, barely croaking. It got to the point that he was having difficulty performing and sometimes would not even show up to the shows. Oh, jeez. He did eventually stop taking amphetamines, but he just had an addictive personality. And I know so many, not personally, but I've seen so many examples of people that they go from one thing and now they're addicted to the other. And we see this all the time. So his addictive personality still got the best of him. He was drunk all the time. He wasn't taking the pills, but he was drunk. And his main problem was he could never just take one pill or have one drink. If he was going to take pills, he was taking them by the handful. Yep. If he was going to have a drink, he was going to get absolutely plastered. There's no happy medium there. Right. Although he would do his best to try and kick his habits, the problem would rear its ugly head throughout his entire life. In the 80s, when he was prescribed morphine and Valium after a surgery. Oh my gosh. Yeah. First of all, that's a horrible combination right there. Well, I disagree. I think that's an amazing combination. <laughs> Okay, to each their own. <laughs> no, I get it. I mean, it... Have you ever had morphine? Once. Oh my gosh, it's amazing. Yeah. I can totally see how people would get addicted to opiates mm-hmm. because morphine yeah. is amazing. Valium's pretty great too. I can totally see why you would become addicted to both of them if mm-hmm. they were prescribed to you. Yeah. Cliff and I have had the conversation of marijuana. I personally am in the field of, I believe that... Marijuana should be used as in medical purposes. And Cliff, what do you believe? I believe the same, but I also believe that it has other uses other than just medicine. It can be a stress reliever. It can help to level you out. It can help to just take the edge off after a hard day. I don't, but again, this is coming from a person whose views on government is very bad. The government (laughs) doesn't have the right to tell you what you can and can't put in your body, I think. Right. But that boils down to everything. That boils down to vaccines, to marijuana, to saturated fats, to sugary drinks, to you name it. Right. Nobody should be able to tell you what to do with your body except you. Yeah. So... I'm very broad when it comes to that. Totally get that. And we disagree on... Me and, me and Cliff actually disagree, not completely, but we do disagree on some political things. But the reason I wanted to bring up marijuana just real quick is I, the reason why I believe that marijuana should be legal for medical for medical reasons is this right here. People get oh, yeah. addicted to opiates, and it is a massive problem. I agree. Now, and people this, still get addicted to marijuana, but it's right. at such a smaller percentage of mm-hmm. people than opioids right and you can't overdose on marijuana where it's so easy there's so many people that that overdose and die using opiates every year it's insane effects that opiates have on your body compared to marijuana is it's like taking dump trucks yeah it's awful but anyway he had an addictive personality and unfortunately that is something that with as much work it, it creeps up and unfortunately he got addicted to it and it ran its course even even in the 80s. 
even during his hospital stay after the uh, the surgery, and I'm jumping forward a bit here, even during his hospital stay, he told doctors that he had hallucinations of commandos setting off bombs in his hospital room. Oh my gosh, he was gone. Yeah, he really was. <laughs> This is just one small story of his drug use, and, and we're, we're about to dive in into some of the other crazy stories that, that he has. It may be that. kind of sick, but I'm excited to hear these. They are. There's one in particular that I know you're going to like. Uh, the other ones are kind of... There, there's two that are really interesting stories. There's two that are smaller and not as interesting, but it's still nuts, some of the stuff that he cool. did while under the influence. So let's go into the first story. In June of 1965, Cash and his nephew, Damon, went on a trip to Los Padres National Forest to go camping and fishing. The two took Johnny's camper, which Johnny named Jesse. Mm-hmm. I don't know where the name came from, but he named his camper Jesse. And I get it. I had a car. I had a Toyota Celica. Can you guess what I named it? Selly? Tom. Tom. Say it all out. Tom Selica. Oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> so all of my vehicles have names with two L's in them. Okay. Holly, Kelly, things like that. Any particular reason why? I just, I, I don't know. Uh, the first car that I named, I don't even remember what I named it, um, but it had two L's in it. Okay. And from then, then I got Holly, which was my Jeep. Okay. And I got Kelly, which is one of my second trucks. Okay. And it just, it's been going on. What's since your car then. name now? I, I haven't named this one. Okay. Because I, every car I've named... I've totaled <laughs> or sold it because there was some major gotcha, issue with it. Gotcha. And so I just figured, you know what? I'm done. I'm, and I like the truck, mm-hmm. but I missed my old truck. Gotcha. So it, it ended with Kelly. Yeah. See, Tom, the only reason we got rid of Tom was because we had a child. You're not mm-hmm. taking, or we were about to have a child. You're not taking a car seat in the back of a four-seater Celica. You could. It just wouldn't be fun. Oh, it would, it would have been awful. Yeah. So now I have Bethany sit in the back. You can put Marshall (laughs) up front because that's safe too. (laughs) Anyway, now I have a grown-up Ford Focus, very blue, named Obi. Obi, Obi One Kenobi. I figured that's what it was for, but just because it's blue, his lightsaber's blue. Anyway, let's get back to this. Johnny had named his camper Jesse. During the drive up to the forest, Cash, being his typical druggy self was taking pills and drinking whiskey all while handling the car and driving the car. So very smart driver, you know, your typical safe driver. (laughs) Obviously, he was intoxicated and was swerving all over the road. They somehow did arrive at their destination safely. However, Damon was extremely upset at the actions of his uncle, and he refused to fish in the same spot as Cash. He just kind of took his stuff and went away from the campsite, I'm getting away from you. Totally understandable. I would be pissed too. While Damon was away from the campsite, disaster struck. The story isn't 100% clear, but it's told as the following, and I'm going to give you two different accounts, and they're kind of short, but they're two different accounts. Cash explains that oil was dripping onto the camper's hot wheels from a cracked bearing. This caused a fire to ignite under the truck kind of sounds weird aren't bearings packed with grease not oil i'm not sure i'm taking it from this story that i saw so gotcha and they, that could that could have been incorrect but either way those tires would have to be hot yeah and well 
oil doesn't just ignite. Right. Now, Damon has a different idea of what happened. He believes that Johnny lit an entire book of matches to try to start a fire to keep him warm. I can see that. That story kind of checks out a little bit more, but Johnny stuck with his guns. Either way, the fire quickly got out of control. A rescue helicopter had to extract them from Los Padres. <laughs> a total of 500 acres across three mountains would be burned due to the fire that was started. Yep. Even more tragic is that it chased away 49 of the 53 condors that lived on the land. These condors were extremely endangered. Not surprisingly, Cash was sued by the federal government for mm -hmm. what he did. During the entire deposition, Cash was completely belligerent. When Johnny was asked if he had started the fire, his answer was, no, my truck did, and it's dead, so you can't question it. <laughs> Doesn't that just seem like such a asshole thing to say but such a badass thing to say all in one 100 percent, man outlaw outlaw country and that feels so cash it you know? does it, it feels really like something does. he would say then when he was questioned about the condors he quoted saying i don't care about your yellow buzzards <laughs> <laughs> like they're just a canary or something <laughs> right, right. <laughs> i don't care about endangered bird <laughs> He doesn't even call them condors buzzards. Like, when I think of buzzards, I think of, like, those movies where the big old, like, vulture just... Doo -doo 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 -doo. <laughs> now, stop me if I'm cutting you too short, but mm -hmm. he ended up just getting, like, a $70,000 fine or something, wasn't it? Surprisingly, I'm about to go into this. He got off with a $125,000 fine. That's it. Yeah. That's it. No jail time. Yeah, because that's a federal offense. Right. And But he's Johnny Cash. Right. Oh, there's multiple things that we'll talk about and going. You're not getting multiple, maybe even tens of years in prison. The stardom card is nuts. So that was just one story. Let's go into some other, some more of his legal troubles. During his career, Johnny Cash performed many times in prison, most yeah. famously Folsom Prison. He felt like he had a connection to the men there. However, Cash himself actually never spent time in prison. Cash did however have brush-ups with the law which we'll talk about we already spoke about you know the lost padres event but there were three other events that really stood out in his life and i have just really quick snippets here about those so in may of 1965 he was arrested in starkville mississippi for being drunk and also out past curfew. Now, that's a line we have not heard for a long time until this year. Yeah, yeah. So curfews were a huge thing until recently. And then with COVID, curfews became a thing again. Yeah. I was actually uh, in trouble with the law for being out past curfew when I was a kid. Are you? Yeah. I'm going to sound really nerdy here. But there was a computer gaming store or place that we used to play. It was like a... A or land back in the store. Huh? Or a land uh, A computer cafe. Yeah, yeah. Back when land cafes were a thing. And in our little town up in Anthem, if you were under 16, you had to be at home by, I think it was 10 o'clock. And if it if you were over 16, it was midnight. Mm -hmm. And so me and my buddies had lost track of time. And it was like 9.45. Two of us were 15 and two of us were 16. I was 15 at the time. And so we're just jetting trying to get home as fast as possible we are literally three blocks from home mm -hmm. whoop, whoop, whoop. 
Yeah. On our bikes, not doing anything bad. Got my first ever ticket by a cop because I was out past curfew riding my bike home like a good little boy. And my mom was even on the phone with the cop going, but but I let him out. Is does that does that make things even better? <laughs> They're, they're like, no, you can't let your son do something illegal. Yeah, that's So that's another thing. The government has no right to tell you what time you have to be home. Right. Mandy got in trouble for curfew. Yeah. I was with her and her brother and sister were with her. We were going, this is dating me. We were bringing movies back to Blockbuster. Okay. Okay. And she had just got her license. So she had just turned 16. Mm-hmm. And she's driving her Saturn Ion. You know, she's driving us all to, to drop these movies off and get some more. Yeah. And... A cop pulls in behind her. This is Surprise when Surprise was nothing. Mm-hmm. Surprise is a town in Arizona that used to be tiny. Mm-hmm. And so there's nobody on the road. And we're driving up Reams Boulevard. And a cop gets in behind her. Yeah. And we're like, crap, he's going to pull you over. So she's doing everything. She's at 10 and 2. She's making sure to use her blinker. She's staying mm-hmm. at the speed limit. But she's paying attention to the rearview mirror. Watching the cop. Well, a cat runs out in front of her. Boom. She nails it. Both tires. Things toast. As soon as she does, we get to the blockbuster. She turns in. Cop lights her up. Didn't give her a ticket, but he gave her the whole spiel about you shouldn't be out past midnight. How old are you? How old are you? You got your brother and sister here with you? And he's like, don't worry. I'll go check on the cat. Just get home. But she didn't break the law. It's not illegal to run over a cat. No, but it was because we were out past curfew. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. Which okay. is BS. At least she didn't have to go to court. I had to go to court. That's true. Anyway... Out past curfew, the cops arrested him and placed him in the holding cell overnight to to sober up. While in the cell, he kicked the door so hard that he broke one of his toes. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so that's Johnny Cash for you, just belligerently drunk kicking doors. <laughs> now, cell doors. Cell yeah. doors, exactly, because that's going to help you get out. The next one's nuts, and I don't know how he didn't get any prison time for this. In October of 1965... Johnny flew into El Paso, Texas with the goal of going across the border to Juarez, Mexico. You know, good old safe Juarez. Good old safe El Paso. Oh my gosh. While in Mexico, he purchased, I don't know how they got the numbers, but he purchased specifically 668 Dexedrin. Okay. So it's like a speed. It's it's amphetamines. It's fat burning pills. And 475 Equinil tablets on the black market. He then hid them in his guitar to smuggle back into the US. Cash would have likely gotten away with it, but the dealer he bought from was actually under surveillance for selling heroin. Okay. When Johnny arrived at the airport, he was arrested and held overnight on charges of smuggling and possession. How do you not go to prison for that? Because your name... That is nuts. Yep, your name and fame. That is that is absolutely crazy. Last story we'll talk about. In November 1967, while in Lafayette, Georgia, Cash took a joyride in a Cadillac Eldorado while under the influence of pills. Johnny raced through the forest, and for whatever reason, he ended up at some rural house and was just banging on the oh door to gosh. get in. He wanted to get in. Obviously... Owner signaled the police, and Cash was again taken into custody for the night. Honestly, I have no idea how he got away with any of this. 
it's his name because anybody else, any just typical person would have been in prison for years and years and years for the forest fire alone. Right. And then in prison again for years and years and years because they're smuggling drugs across country lines, state lines. Yeah. But even you see these famous people in prison. Wesley Snipes. Why did they get him though? (laughs) Well, yeah. Well, he deserves it. Yeah. I don't know. What, What did Wesley Snipes do? Taxes. He didn't pay his taxes. Oh. So, but... Government wants theirs. They'll yeah. get theirs. Well, money's more important than drugs, so. Yeah. Obviously, cash at this point had absolutely hit rock bottom. And it was affecting all aspects of his life. We're going to now go into kind of his resurrection or his redemption path. So, as we've seen, the years between 1965 and 1968 were the absolute darkest of his life. Sure. Addiction had taken over his life. Clearly, it had ruined his personal life and his marriage, but it was also destroying his career as well. It was starting to look like Cash could... I mean, Cash could literally be six feet under at any point. Yeah. He, he The fact that he survived all of this and didn't die either from an overdose or just from... From wrecking a car while he's driving high, yeah. Right, exactly. Or getting involved in, like, cartels or something. You're, you're going out to Mexico to buy drugs. Yeah. However... We start to see his life begin to turn around in the very late 60s. Although the validation of this next story is often questioned, Cash states that it was the beginning of his recreation. Johnny tells a story that one time in 1967, he was so depressed due to his drug use that he had lost the will to continue living. He was in Tennessee at the time and decided to hike up to Nickajack Cave, which is just north of Chattanooga. What's okay? The, what's the look for? Just sounded awful. <laughs> Caught Nick, me off guard. Nickajack. <laughs> N-I-C-K-A-J-A-C-K. Nickajack. Legend goes that Nickajack holds the remains of countless cave explorers that had lost their ways in the cave. Oh, no. Okay. And so Cash's goal was to lose his way in the cave and just pass away so he was going to commit suicide exactly and not in the traditional sense that we think of of you know shooting yourself hanging yourself he was just gonna go get lost and just die okay which it's still suicide it's just not traditional (laughs) i mean i don't think a normal person would go i'm gonna starve myself to death yeah or you know lack myself you know give myself a lack of water there's a lot of people that still do that, though, in Japan. Really? Okay. Have you not heard of the suicide forest? I have heard of the suicide forest. So a lot but of I thought them, they committed suicide. Like, well, a lot of them hang themselves right. there. But a lot of them go in and get lost. You're supposed to bring a rope with you, tie it, and then mm-hmm. walk. A lot of them don't. They just right. go out there and say, well, this is happening. Right. And they end up getting lost out there, which was the intent. And then they can't find their way back. They end up starving to death. Yeah. It was a horrible movie, but there was a, a movie about that, I want to say like four or five years ago. My wife and I were dating at the time about a girl that goes and ventures in, into the forest. So anyway, I forget what it's called. But yeah, it, it's it's tragic that that still happens. Yeah. Anyway, like I said, his goal was to get lost and, and, and to just die there. Johnny crawled through the cave for many hours until his flashlight died. He says he laid in the pitch black and prepared himself to, to die. He claims he never felt so far away from God. However, as he pondered, an epiphany hit him, and he realized it was not his time to go. Cash tells 
his story that uh, he got up and was able to escape the cave by following a draft of air to the entrance. He states that he promised to quit drugs that day. Unfortunately, he did not actually quit drugs that day. (laughs) But we do start to see his life change a few years later. Now, as awesome as that story sounds, that sounds like straight out of a storybook or a movie, he found the will to live and he escaped. Sure. There's a lot of holes in this story. And it kind of makes it more like a legend than actual fact. Cash's friend and former bandmate, uh, Grant, Marshall Grant, says that the events didn't happen. So he straight up says in his autobiography that it didn't happen. So he's not even saying he exaggerated it. He's just saying this never happened. No, he said it it didn't happen. Wow, okay. Also, another one of Cash's biographers notes that Nickajack Cave was actually completely underwater as the Army Corps of Engineers dammed it up in the fall of 1967. Oh, no. So he didn't (laughs) do his homework before he made this. Right. So this story probably didn't happen. But it shows that, at least in this time, he knew he had hit rock bottom. And although the story wasn't true, he was wanting to make that that change. Okay. So we finally do start to see a change for good. In 1968, we start to see this positive change in his life. In February of 1968, Cash performed at Folsom Prison in California. This concert was a massive hit. And he had a full album released just from the recordings of that show. And this show is viewed as his bounce back performance. On March 1st of the same year, he married his friend and tour mate, June Carter. Of course. So although June had really caused turmoil in his first marriage, probably part of the reason they got divorced, she did end up helping Cash turn his life around. She helped him rededicate his Christian faith and also encouraged him to seek drug addiction treatment that he required. Yeah. So she really pushed him in the right direction. And in in her defense, when you say, you know, she's a big part of why he cheated, I don't think so. I think she was just the person because if it was somebody else, he still would have done it. Yeah. And you wonder, is that, did, did the public see her as the figure that, led him to cheating or because she was around all the time. Well, and he didn't cheat story. only with her. Right. He, he hopped from Pelosi to Pelosi. Right. She was the one that was always there though. Right. So she was the one that they went out in public that right. they saw him with yeah. her. So I can Constantly. see why they would say, Oh, she's the one right. breaking up the marriage. Right. Even though she helped, but he's the one that broke right. up that exactly. marriage. Exactly. It is stated throughout many writings on Cash that Johnny truly loved June. Like, this was the love of his life. I believe that, too. In 1969, Johnny Cash started to host his own TV variety series, The Johnny Cash Show. How original. (laughs) Everybody was doing this back then, though, too. Totally. The show highlighted musicians of all genres, even including the likes of Bob Dylan and Louis Armstrong. The show also addressed social issues, which I thought was interesting, such as the Vietnam War, prison reform, and Native American rights. Okay. So I feel like that's really progressive for the 60s. Absolutely. Especially speaking out. I don't know if they spoke out against the Vietnam War, but there were conversations on the show about these topics. Sure. Later that year, Johnny won two Grammy Awards for his album, Johnny Cash at Folsom Prison, which we talked about. Huge hit. 
Johnny and June had their first and only child, a son, John Carter Cash, in 1970. The 70s would bring even more success to Cash. He wrote many hit singles, including One Piece at a Time and A Thing Called Love. And so I, I got to take back my original statement at the beginning. Okay. Because I totally forgot about One Piece at a Time. Okay. After hearing him sing that song, I can totally see him working in a factory building cars. Makes sense. So, so I take totally it Totally makes sense. Yep. He also dabbled in Hollywood. He starred in a gunfight with Kirk Douglas and wrote music for the hit movie Little Foss and Big Halsey. Cash also helped write his autobiography, Man in Black, in 1975. Then in 1980, he became the youngest living person to be elected to the Country Music Hall of Fame. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. So pretty young. Definitely deserved it. Yeah. So he would have been 48 at this point. Yeah. So that's still pretty young in their career, in his career. Cash continued to have success in the 80s and 90s as well. He collaborated with many high-profile musicians to create some extremely popular songs and albums. During this time, he worked with Chris Christopherson, Willie Nelson, and Waylon Jennings, like we Woo. mentioned earlier, to form the country mega group The Highwaymen. Amazing group. Yes, they are. I haven't listened to too many of their songs. I was listening to a little bit of it mm-hmm. um, during my uh, my research because... I just had never really heard it, and these are big names. They they did a handful of covers too. A lot mm. of their songs were covers. Okay, a lot of their bigger songs. I'll have to listen to them a little bit more. Yeah, but uh, Highwaymen, the, the song Highwaymen, probably my favorite song from them. Okay, I'll have to check it out. I'll check it out right after this episode. Wait, and you too, people. He even worked with U two in the <laughs> early '90s and made an appearance in their album Zoropa. Zoropa, sorry. Accolades would continue into the 90s as well. Cash was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 1992. Uh, He also teamed up with Rick Rubin, who was a huge producer, in 1994 to release an acoustic album called American Recordings. Mm -hmm. The album did so well that he won the 1995 Grammy Award for Best Contemporary Folk Album. This guy's getting old. Oh, he's getting old, but I mean, look what you can do when you're off the the drugs and the sauce. Right. Now, he was, but he still had those relapses from time to time. Yeah. So, he, he, but he overcame it, which is awesome. For a man that was literally on the brink of death in the 60s, he completely turned around his life. In the next 30 to 40 years, he was an absolute success. He inspired so many countless fans, and it, it, it was just nuts. But like all great stories, there's an ending. Unfortunately, along with his success in the 90s came health problems. In the latter half of the decade, he was diagnosed with shy Drager syndrome. And what in the world is that? It's a neurodegenerative disease. But he was diagnosed with it. However, he was later found to be misdiagnosed. Okay. He was reassessed and he had an um, autonomic neurodegenerative pathy disorder of some sort okay obviously has to do something with the brain i'm not totally sure what it was but it was affecting his brain function and just his ability to do much of anything he was also hospitalized at this time his daughter explained that this was a very scary time for her and the family cash was often stumbling on stage and struggling through his performances 
her and the family would pray on a nightly basis that he would make it through the show and sometimes just praying that he would make it through a specific song. Oh my gosh. Yeah. His health had declined that Come much. to think of it, I want to say I've seen videos of him singing later on in life. And he, he had that Muhammad Ali kind of look to him, how he was almost confused about what was going on. So there was thoughts that he had Parkinson's as well at one point. So the diagnosis was never like that great. Okay. Because it, they always kept going back and forth, but he was at one point diagnosed, diagnosed with Parkinson's, but didn't, but it was misdiagnosed. So there okay. was that as well. In 2003, Cash's health would continue to decline along with the health of his wife, June Carter. In April of 2003, June was diagnosed with a leaky heart valve, which is no no thing to kid around. My mom actually had to have a, a heart valve replacement probably about four years ago. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, June originally did not want to have the surgery as she felt she was 73 years old. It's late in life. There's no, there's no reason for it. Cash begged her to have the surgery. Absolutely begged her because he was not ready to let her go. Sure. Yeah. So June changed her mind and went into surgery on May 7th, 2003. Unfortunately, the next morning she went into cardiac arrest and oh, it took no. 20 minutes for the doctors to resuscitate her. So can you imagine you beg your wife to have the surgery and that she, she doesn't want and she goes into a cardiac arrest? Oh my gosh. Yeah. So they got her back. So she was immediately put on to life support. After three days, they performed tests to see if her brain would respond to the stimuli as they were uncertain how long her brain had gone without oxygen during this episode. Yeah. Unfortunately, June was not responsive and had, and Cash had to make the hardest decision of his life and end oh, no. her life support. Oh, my I gosh. I could not imagine the pain that he had to go through. And she was just going to let it go? Yeah. Oh, and he man. wanted to he wanted to have it so she could continue her her life, but in the long run, she died faster because of it. Man, I don't think I could live with myself. No. no. Well, he didn't live much longer. Jeez. To try and get over June's death, he quickly got back to work. Unfortunately, his health declined further. Four months after the death of June, he was hospitalized. Uh, with pancreatitis. Then two weeks after leaving the hospital, Johnny Cash died at the age of 71 due to complications from diabetes. Although his health was clearly degrading, many believe that his true cause of death was just a broken heart from losing June. I can totally see yeah. that, man. And you see that a lot of times with couples that have been married for so long that one dies and one follows quickly after. And if you don't have kids or a family, I can totally see why. It'd be really tough. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's your your other half. Right. Right. Jeez. Following his death, he would end up winning a posthumous award on a posthumous award at the CMA Awards, winning the best album for his album American Four. There's a lot of other accolades that he. I mean, a lot of other things that took place after his death. Not things that took place, but he was honored so many different ways after his death. Oh, Movies, yeah. shows, biographies, all of that. But that was the life of Johnny Cash. And what a life it was. My gosh. It really was. So months and months ago, I started researching Cash to cover him for the mm -hmm. podcast. And I got up to like the forest fire thing. And I'm like, you know, I, I wanted to go a different way. So I put that aside to do something else. Yeah. I'm glad I didn't. 
Because I think you covered it way better than I would have. Really? Okay. Yeah, I, I was focusing on, on different things than you did. Okay. So I'm glad that you did it. I cool. think you did it better. Good. But my gosh, I did. I never got to the end, so yeah. I didn't realize that he begged his wife to go have this that, surgery she that, didn't want to do. When I read that, I was almost in tears. Like It was just like, holy cow. I could never imagine having to push Bethany into something and then killing her. Oh, man. Yeah. I, I couldn't live with myself. Yeah. It's That'd nuts. That'd be terrible. But he did live... A very roller coaster life. But I love this story of Johnny Cash because it truly is a redemption story. Like, you see here, all, a lot of people we talk about, they either they were evil people and didn't have any redeeming qualities, or they almost died too early to have the full redemption. But he really lived a full life after and, and changed the, the course of so many people that looked up to him. Well, not just that. He's changed the f- America. Yeah. Can you imagine how much different America would be if he wasn't right. born here or decided to continue being a cotton farmer instead of exactly. singing? Exactly. And just the music industry as a whole, totally. So many people pull passion, yeah. pull... Uh, influence. Influence, yeah. Well, David me. Allen Coe, another amazing country singer. Mm-hmm. Johnny Cash was his idol yeah. growing up. And like, you wouldn't, you may not have him if yeah, it wasn't Well, of course Cash. not, yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Like always, I like to end my episodes with some random facts. So first fact, Johnny Cash was an ordained minister. Mm -hmm. In the late 70s, Cash studied for two and a half years and received a degree in theology, ultimately becoming a minister. He was actually encouraged to study theology by none other than the great Reverend Billy Graham. Really? Yeah. So the two became very close friends for the remainder of their lives. Cash would never actually lead a congregation or work full-time as a staff member of a church. However, he did preside the wedding of his daughter, Karen. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I knew that he was ordained because of his daughter's wedding. Mm -hmm. I didn't know that he had studied for that long for it because from what I understood, it's like a 40-minute course and you're done. Well, he... uh, He sounded like it was... Well, he got the degree in theology. Oh, that, okay. That's, yeah. He didn't just get the It wasn't order. just to be an ordained gotcha. minister. Oh, yeah. I know people that have gotten, a, became a quote-unquote minister yeah. to do a wedding. Uh, but yeah, he, he definitely fell back into his Christian ways at, later in life. Another crazy one, and this is the last story I'll tell. He did not write his biggest hit. And so we were talking about how he did covers. Cash was known not only for being the, you know a great singer... But I think the biggest thing was being one of the greatest songwriters of his time. Sure. So it's crazy to even think that his best-selling song of all time, Ring of Fire, wasn't actually written by Johnny Cash. So who wrote it? So the song was actually a cover of Anita Carter's song she released a few months prior to Cash. Okay. Anita's version was a total flop. Like, it wasn't successful at all. But when Cash heard it, he decided that he wanted to perform it, but he wanted it to be in that Mexican-style mariachi arrangement that we hear. And you hear the mariachi horns at the beginning of that song and throughout the song. Yeah. And released his own version. The song was an immediate hit. It hit number one and stayed there for seven straight weeks on the country charts and was in the top 20 on the pop list. After its release, Cash played the song at nearly every single concert he performed. Oh, you have to, yeah. Exactly. And that was the... So Ring of Fire was the very first Johnny Cash song I was ever introduced to. You want to know where I was introduced to Johnny Cash Ring of Fire? Where? 
Tony Hawk Pro Skater, I think it was Underground 2. Okay. And that was the very first time I heard Johnny Cash, and I loved that song. Isn't that nutty? I had the original Tony Hawk. Yeah. And they had Dead Kennedys on there. Mm-hmm. And that is where I fell in love with the stupid band Dead Kennedys. Yeah. And I still, to this day, listen to them. The Tony Hawk series from Tony Hawk Pro Skater 1 through Underground 1 and 2. First of all, they were like my favorite games growing mm-hmm. up. Second of all, the soundtracks on those games Amazing. are legendary. 100%. Oh my gosh. So good. So yeah. good. But anyway, that's the life of Johnny Cash. What did you learn today? So I learned a lot. But the thing that's going to stick with me forever is the end. Yeah. When his wife didn't want to have the heart surgery. And he's like, ah, just go get it. And she died. Mm-hmm. I am flabbergasted. I don't know how you could go on. I, I Again, that's where I'm stuck at. Because yeah. I look at everything through the lens of my own eyes. Mm-hmm. And so I put myself in that situation. And my wife says, you know, I really don't want to get the surgery. We, you know, I have enough time left. That's fine with me. And I pushed her into it. She died. I'd, I'd go nuts. Yeah. So, my gosh, you know he had to beat himself up for it. I, I don't know how you would live with yourself after that. But it, it really is a story of redemption, mm-hmm. like you're talking about. Because he was a good boy. And yeah. then he found, you know, drugs and rock and roll and... I guess sex, drugs, drugs and, country. and yeah. <laughs> sex, drugs, and country, which is something different in Arkansas. I mean, <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, he he took he he went spiraling south. Yeah. But at the end, he did. He he found his footing again, and right. you know, came back to the fold and ended on a high note. I think the biggest thing that stuck out to me was how how rock bottom he actually hit, and how lucky he got with not. He could have, like we said, could have easily gone to prison and should have gone to prison multiple yes. times. Yeah. But I think he I think he even realized how lucky he was and turned his life around and affected so many people outside of himself and his family. And so that that that's truly what I learned. But it was it was awesome. Like I say this on a few that I researched, like, oh, I loved researching. I really liked researching it. It was very, very interesting. And I had a lot of fun with this episode. Yeah, I had fun listening to it. I'm yeah. Again, I'm glad you did it because it was great sitting on this side and hearing everything. Yeah. Cool, cool. Well, that's that, that's that's my uh, my dive into Johnny Cash. But Cliff, how can our listeners get involved and get in touch with us? Well, the best way to get involved is to rate us five stars on iTunes. Yes. Rate us five stars on Apple Podcasts. That is how we get more exposure so more people can hear your favorite podcast hosts. You can also email us at humanizinghistory at gmail.com. You can find us on Reddit. You can find us on Twitter. You can find us on Facebook. You can find us on the gram. And you can also, you know, hey, just come knock on my door and talk to me if you can find my address. Don't do that. That's a joke. (laughs) Just kidding. The crazy thing is they probably could find your address. I'm sure that I guarantee it. Please don't come to my house. That's a joke. (laughs) But yeah, please get in touch with us. We'd love to hear from you guys. We'd love to hear about what you thought about this episode and who you'd want us to cover in the future. Definitely. Definitely. Well, thanks guys for listening to us this evening or whenever you're listening to this, but this old man's getting tired. So it is time to sign off. I appreciate all of you guys. Love you guys. Have a great week. Yeah. Go watch Walk the Line and then watch Walk Hard, the Dewey Cox story. (laughs) Love each other. Be nice. We'll see you guys next week. Peace out.